no big mystery. He ain't digging me politely, he was dissing me. No, we're not hiring, but thanks for the visit, please. He ain't want me, my grandmother warned me. Them goddamn felonies will haunt me, taunt me. No second chance, back to the same block. Go home, my baby mom will change lives. It's a game, I okay, the game's on. Then she opened the door with the chain on. Said she been reaching out oh, for several days. I ain't helping out, we need to go our separate ways oh, I was just amazed, wanna go another route Let okay. me get my clothes, said she took them to my mother's house All She right. was pissed off, yeah, P.O. And said go ahead and while out, I call you P.O. Uh, I put on my pants, put on my shoes I pray to God, paid all my dues I'm trying to win, seemed like I was born to lose All I can say Say let me let me through, but they don't let me through. You wanna quit? Quit. God damn, I'm ready to. Ready. Lifestyle I'm living ain't steady. Not at all. All I can say. Ooh. I put on my pants, put on my shoes. I pray to God, paid all my dues. I'm trying to win, seem like I was born to lose. All I can say. I say let me let me through, but they don't let me through. You wanna quit? Quit. God damn, I'm ready to. Ready. Lifestyle I'm living ain't steady. Not at all. All I can say. Love. I'm hanging on me for 
what it's for nobody gives us a rhyme or reason half of one doubt they call it treason we're chicken feathers all the way Sleeping not trying to duck the wrath of God. Preachers filling us with fright. They all trying to teach us what they think is right. They really got to be some kind of nut.
Don Dean, Leroy Vinegar, Benny Bailey, Eddie Harris. A good morning, mutineers. This is Saturday morning. At least I think it is, huh? Of course it is. This is the B. Welcome to the Labor and Love Show. It's labor, it's love, and it's radio. A show where we tell you how it is. If one person gets a dollar they didn't work for, someone else worked for a dollar they didn't get. You know it's true. If you don't have a seat at the table, the negotiating table, that is, where you work, you're on the menu. They're talking about you and your life. Those hours in your life that <clears throat> will never come back again. And never but never let anyone into your heart who is not a friend of labor. It's just a waste of time. 
Labor and Love Radio, where the labor meets the road. And we started out today with a set. That last one, I know, I know I play it all the time. Probably some people who are regular listeners are getting tired of hearing it, but very few songs that I know express the confusion, the out-and-out oppression, the out-and-out idiocy of what we're going through here. A quarter million of us have died because of one man's one man's idea that he doesn't look good in a mask. Now, what if he'd come out for masks earlier? How many people would have would be alive now? We always talk about Thanksgiving, the empty chair at Thanksgiving, trying to make it real compared to what? That's McCann with the great Eddie Harris from. Uh, Jazz Festival in Switzerland, I believe, from the late 60s. And as I always say, the idea of this show is to bring that energy, that energy that we had, up to date and make it work for today. The past is only useful to us if it can give us a direction to go in the present and the future. Okay, what do you think? Before that, <clears throat> before that, we had Killer Mike. Killer Mike's talking about, I hate my job, right? His boss is bossing him around. He hates his boss. He's working for $12 an hour. Hardly a living wage, is it? And before that, we had Cher. Share with a working girl, a working girl in a man's world, walking home alone in the rain. This is Labor and Love Radio. Welcome, and you're listening to Mutiny Radio. Mutiny Radio down here at <coughs> on Florida Street at the corner of Florida and 21st. A full-bodied community arts center. We got comedy. We got art. We got radio. We got video. Pam Benjamin, our station manager. Did the COVID knock our knock Mutiny Radio out? No. Pam moved our radios, our comedy shows to the outside. Bought a big canopy. So comedians can still try out their material and criticize one another helpfully. Let's see what we got today on the labor beat. Of course, we got our radio labor show, our radio labor feature that talks about labor around the world, the worldwide labor movement. We've got our history in two minutes, labor history in two minutes. We got labor notes. 
How postal workers saved the election. Amazon, Amazon workers to stage coordinated Black Friday protests in 15 countries. Got some testimony from an Amazon worker. Make Amazon pay. And Union made holiday shopping. Trusted brands for the holidays. Express yourself in the marketplace. They want us to believe that everything is the marketplace, huh? So get in there and express yourself. <clears throat> Buy union-made and union-friendly gifts this year. We got labor cards. Starting a new, a new feature today. Labor cards number one out of a set of 30, soon to be a podcast. And who would our first labor, labor card be? Francisco Chico Mendez. And if you don't know about Chico Mendez, tune in and listen. This is Solidarity News on Radio Labor. This is a Radio Labor World Report recorded on Friday, November 27th, 2020. I'm Mark Boulanger. In the report this week, violence against women in the transport sector as they are told to man up. How corporations in the United States stop unions. The Labor Start report about union events and singing. A woman's place is in her This is Radio Labor. During the week of November 25th, unions around the world organized many events commemorating the UN's International Day for the Elimination of Violence Against Women. One of the sectors severely affected by workplace violence against women is transportation, where women work as bus drivers, flight attendants, truck drivers, seafarers, and other occupations. I talked to Jody Evans about violence against women in the transportation sector. Ms. Evans is the Women Transport Workers and Gender Equality Officer for the International Transport Workers Federation. The ITF represents 20 million workers in nearly 700 unions. I asked her about violence against women in the transport sector. Mark, gender-based violence is endemic in the stubbornly male-dominated transport industry. A woman transport worker from Kenya told me that her colleagues have started going to the toilet in groups after one woman was raped during a blackout. Sectors like transport have been constructed and continue to structure work with men in mind, so women often feel unwelcome. Women are increasingly part 
of the workforce and claiming their space, but they are reminded time and time again that it's a man's world and they don't belong. They're told to man up or leave the job and they are made to believe that violence is inevitable. Women are also often forced to be limited in the roles that they play in the industry to those that society perceives as fit for women, like customer service and administration. Women often tell us how proud they are to be transport workers and keeping, including keeping the world moving during this pandemic. I've spoken to many women who are proud to be one of the first women employed at particular jobs traditionally seen as men's work, but women also tell us that working in this industry can be tough. A 2017 survey by the European Transport Workers Federation, the ETF, found that 26% of the 1,444 women transport workers they surveyed believe that harassment is considered to be part of the job. One aircraft marshaller from Brazil shared with me the words of her colleague when she complained about having to use the men's toilet. He said, love, for you to stay here, you're going to have to learn to pee standing up. This is a man's place. Many women are excluded from decent transport jobs because of violence, and others leave the industry because of the violence they've been subjected to. What are some of the solutions the ITF has been working on to decrease violence against women in the workplace? Well, since the problem is in the root or the foundation, the solutions or the change also have to be at that very root or foundation level. So we're working on solutions globally, but also with our affiliated trade unions for action locally. We're developing our global policy and strategy to challenge the gender-segregated nature of the transport industry. An industry still very wedded to the idea of boys and girls' jobs, which leads to a set of expectations and behaviours for workers, and that limits women's opportunities and needs to be challenged. Making the issues visible is a a really crucial step towards solving the problem and gender impact assessment and industry policy and decision-making is vital. Very recently, we supported women leaders from our affiliated trade unions in India to undertake the largest known national study on domestic violence and the workplace with over 15,500 participants. This study was possible because of the development and the implementation of the ITF Women's Advocacy Programme, where women workplace activists are trained to recognise, respond and refer, to support colleagues who are survivors of violence and harassment, whether that originates in the home or the workplace. This is true global sisterhood in action. You can find more information about violence against women in the transport sector at itfglobal.org. Why do big corporations continue to win while workers get shafted? It all comes down to power. Who has it and who doesn't? One of the promises the Biden campaign made during the recent U.S. elections is to re-energize unions in the country. That, predicts University of California professor Robert Reich, will not be easy. But much can be done, he says in a new video. And he should know. He was the secretary of labor during the first Clinton administration. Big corporations have become so dominant that workers and consumers have fewer options and have to accept the wages and prices these giant corporations offer. 
This has become even worse now that thousands of small businesses have had to close as a result of the pandemic, while mammoth corporations are being bailed out. At the same time, worker bargaining power has declined as fewer workers are unionized, and technologies have made outsourcing easy, allowing corporations to get the labor they need for cheap. These two changes in bargaining power didn't happen by accident. As corporations have gained power, they've been able to gut anti-monopoly laws, allowing them to grow even more dominant. At the same time, fewer workers have joined unions because corporations have undermined the nation's labor laws. And many state legislatures, under intense corporate lobbying, have enacted laws making it harder to form unions. Because of these deliberate power shifts, even before the pandemic, a steadily larger portion of corporate revenues have been siphoned off to profits and a shrinking portion allocated to wages. Once the economy tanked, the stock market retained much of its value, while millions of workers lost jobs and the unemployment rate soared to Great Depression-era levels. Meanwhile, as unions have shrunk, so too has their political power. In 2009, even with a Democratic president and Democrats in control of Congress, unions could not muster enough votes to enact a simple reform that would have made it easier for workplaces to unionize. All the while, corporations have been getting states to enact so-called right-to-work laws, barring unions from requiring dues from workers they represent. Since worker representation costs money, these laws effectively gut the unions by not requiring workers to pay dues. In 2018, the Supreme Court, in an opinion delivered by the court's five Republican appointees, extended right to work to public employees. This great shift in bargaining power from workers to corporate shareholders has created an increasingly angry working class, vulnerable to demagogues peddling authoritarianism, racism, and xenophobia. Trump took full advantage. All of this has pushed a larger portion of national income into profits and a lower portion into wages than at any time since World War II. That's true even during a severe downturn. For the last decade, most profits have been going into stock buybacks and higher executive pay rather than new investment. So what can be done to restore bargaining power to workers and narrow the widening gap between corporate profits and wages? For one, make stock buybacks illegal, as they were before the Securities and Exchange Commission legalized them under Ronald Reagan. This would prevent corporate juggernauts from siphoning profits into buybacks and instead direct profits toward economic investment. Another solution, enact a national ban on right-to-work laws, thereby restoring power to unions and the workers they represent require greater worker representation on corporate boards, as Germany has done through its employee co-determination system. This is all about power. The good news is that rebalancing the power of workers and corporations can create an economy and a democracy that works for all, not just a privileged few. Mr. Wright's video was produced by Inequality Media. It and other videos are available on his YouTube channel. Here with his report about union events is Labor Start correspondent Derek Blackadder. Each day, Labor Start's volunteers collect hundreds of news items about workers and their unions from around the world in 36 languages. Here's a small sample of that work. 
Our top stories section included links to coverage of the campaign to force the release of a university worker facing the death penalty in Iran, the labor movement's reaction to the G20 summit, and a comparison of the evolving union scenes in China and in Vietnam. The emerging trends in our news coverage include the extent to which marginalized workers have been both hit especially hard by the pandemic, but also how they have been excluded from social benefits extended to other workers. Not surprisingly, these workers are most often women. Three occupational groups stand out in this regard. Garment workers were amongst the first to experience a shutdown and the loss of employment starting in March and continuing to today. The globalization of the garment industry has meant that most production long ago moved to the low-wage economies of countries like Nicaragua, Bangladesh, Ethiopia, and in Southeast Asia. The vast majority of these workers have no social benefits to replace their lost earnings. In most of the affected countries, trade unions have been focusing on a fast and safe return to work. Part of that strategy is organizing workers in the global north to place pressure on the global brands for whom the unemployed workers once made clothes in an attempt to force the brands to take some responsibility for the safety of workers throughout their supply chains. Domestic workers continue to experience everything from unemployment in their country of work, which can lead quickly to homelessness, through imprisonment prior to deportation, to something resembling modern-day slavery as they are confined to their employers' homes and denied their wages. Global Union Federation, the International Domestic Workers Federation, is continuing its efforts to repatriate workers, but the scope of the problem is huge and the almost informal nature of the work arrangements in most countries makes just finding many of these workers difficult. Workers from the Philippines, East Africa, Malaysia, and Central America appear to be most affected. The impact of the pandemic on these women is multiplied given that most are supporting families in their countries of origin. For our Working Women page, our volunteers found news of the ways in which unions around the world marked the International Day for the Prevention of Violence Against Women and Children, a global fast food workers' effort against sexual harassment in the workplace, and how working at home has increased online gendered harassment of women across much of Europe. Okay, Bogart. No, no, no. No, no, thank you. Out you go. Okay, I'll rub your belly in a minute. This is Derek Blackadder from Labor Start, reporting for Radio Labor. Now here is Union Nation with A Woman's Place is in Her Union.
That's it. International labor news you can use. A proper distance, else we'll make you stare at our firm resistance. Let alone the lads who are freedom tasting. Don't forget our dads gave you once a basting to protect our rights against your flints and triggers. See on yonder height our patriotic diggers, men of every age, color, rank, profession, ardently engaged. Labor in succession. Pickaxe, shovel, spade, crowbar, hoe, and barrow. Better not invade. Yankees have the marrow. Scholars leave their schools with patriotic teachers. Farmers seize their tools, headed by their preachers. How they break the soil. Brewers, butchers, bakers. Here the doctors toil. There the undertakers. Bright Apollo's sons leave their pipe and tabor. Mid the roar of guns, join the martial labor. Round the embattled plain, in sweet Concord rally, and in freedom strain, sing the full finale. Pickaxe, shovel, spade, crowbar, hoe, and barrow. Better not invade, Yankees have the marrow. Better not invade. Don't forget the spirit which our dads displayed and their sons inherit. If you still advance, friendly caution sliding, you may get by chance a belly full of fighting. Plumbers, founders, dyers, tin men, turn and shavers, sweepers, clerks, and criers, jewelers, engravers, clothiers, drapers, players, cartmen, hatters, tailors, gauges, sealers, wares, carpenters, and sailors, pickaxe, shovel, spade, crowbar, hoe, and barrow, better not invade, Yankees have a marrow.
I'm tired of moon songs, of star and of June songs. They simply make me nap. And ditties romantic drive me nearly frantic. I think they're all full of pap. History's making, nations are quaking. Why sing of stars above? For while we are waiting, Father Time's creating new things to be singing of. Sing me a song with social significance. All other tunes are taboo. I want a ditty with heat in it. Appealing with feeling and meat in it. Sing me a song with social significance, or you can sing till you're blue. Let meaning shine from every line, or I won't love you. Sing me of wars and sing me of bread lines. Tell me of front page news. Sing me of strikes and last minute headlines. Dress your observation in syncopation. Sing me a song with social significance. There's nothing else that will do. It must get hot with what is what, or I won't love you. a song that's satirical putting the mirror into miracle it must be packed with social fact or I won't love you sing me of kings and conferences marshal tell me of mills and mines sing me of courts that aren't impartial what's to be done with them tell me in rhythm sing me a song with social significance there's nothing else that will do it must be tense with common sense or i won't love you Okay, we had our radio labor report all over the world. Workers are up against it. The COVID has only made it worse because all of a sudden now, with people dying by the thousands every day and all the measures that were passed to help people who can't work because there are no jobs, starting to run out. A lot of them run out the day after Christmas. What are people going to do? What are workers going to do? They've sold us this social system that depends on our work to survive. And now there's no work for so many people. What's going to happen? As Robert Reich pointed out, this makes people more conducive to right-wing conspiracy theories and nationalistic appeals. But the bottom line is that 
people don't have enough money to live. They don't have work to earn that money. Their savings are running out if they ha ever had any. What are you going to do, Pelosi? What are you going to do, McConnell? Please. Our country's about to enter another crazy, crazy period where people are going to be out on the street begging, going hungry, going crazy. Uh, okay. We had a woman's places in her union at the end of our uh, Lady O Labor feature. We had uh, John Allison singing about union solidarity. And that last one we had, Rose Moon. We used to play that one a lot on this show. It used to be one of our theme songs. Sing me a song with social significance. There's nothing else that will do. Okay, we're coming up on 11. Take a little break here. Listen up to some of Ken Burns' jazz. And I'll be right back. Sometimes I wonder why I spend such lonely nights. Oh, baby, lonely nights. Dreaming of a song, melody, memory. And I'm once again with you when our love was new. Oh, man, it gives an inspiration. Now that, baby, you know.
Louis Armstrong there with uh, Stardust, Hoagie Carmichael song. Let's take a look and see what we got on the labor beat. Amazon workers to stage coordinated Black Friday protests in 15 countries. The day of action includes strikes and protests from garment manufacturers in Bangladesh to call center workers in the Philippines to warehouse workers in the U.S., Europe, and Mexico. On Friday, Amazon warehouse workers and social and environmental justice activists around the world will stage a series of coordinated protests, strikes, and actions to demand the online retailer respect workers' rights, participate in union activity, stop circumventing tax laws, and commit to higher environmental standards, according to the event's organizers. Protest actions will take place across Amazon's supply chain in Brazil, Mexico, United States, the United Kingdom, Spain, France, Belgium, Germany, Luxembourg, Italy, Poland, India, Bangladesh, the Philippines, and Australia. As many as 3,000 will strike at six Amazon facilities in Germany. There's a whole list there. This is on uh, Portside. Here's a parenthetical. Confidential Amazon memo reveals new software to track unions. Now, Amazon has made uh, buying a lot easier for everybody, especially in a COVID situation. People don't have to go live to a store to buy things. They have Amazon. Mr. Bezos is probably now worth a couple hundred billion dollars. He doesn't need all that money. He could put some of that money into the lives of his workers. Confidential Amazon memo reveals new software to track unions. Amazon has long opposed the idea of its warehouse employees forming a union, though much of its anti-union strategies have stayed under wraps. But a confidential Amazon internal memo viewed by Recode reveals how the company is making significant investments in technology to track and counter the threat of unionization. Dated February 2020, this document describes the plan to spend millions of dollars to better analyze and visualize data on unions around the globe alongside other non-union threats to the company related to factors like crime and weather. Out of 40 or so data points listed in the memo, around half of them are union-related or related to employee issues like mandatory overtime and safety incidents. 
A memo requested staffing and funds to purchase software that would specifically help consolidate and visually map data from three different Amazon groups led by Employee Relations, Human Resources, along with Amazon's Global Intelligence Unit and Global Intelligence Program. So you can read it on Portside. Okay. We've got other wrestlers. Here's one now. I've never taken wrestling seriously because it's it's not about, you know, doing my best against your best. It's it's a show. As a sport, I haven't taken it seriously. As theater, it's one of the most powerful industries in the world. Let's see. There's a uh, recently a tweet from Worldwide, World Wrestling Enterprises professional wrestler Zelina Vega went viral, wherein she supported unionization. She was fired by WWE around 10 minutes later. The actual cause of her termination is more com complicated. But her tweet kick-started widespread conversations about unionizing professional wrestlers. Many wrestlers themselves had long supported unionizing a famous names such as Bret Hart, Roddy Piper, Jesse Ventura, Sergeant Slaughter, Chris Jericho, Sting, Terry Funk, and Goldberg publicly speaking up about the idea. First major documented push was in the 70s and 80s, led by Georgia wrestler Jim Wilson, who tried to get the sport regulated in Georgia and wrestlers placed in a union. The attempts went nowhere and led to him being blackballed by the National Wrestling Alliance. And uh, the guy who ran... This is on Portside as well. The guy who ran and told the bosses about it was none other than Hulk Hogan. At its core, wrestling is a carnival grift and a uniquely American one. It rose in the post-Civil War era as a carnival act to showcase the different forms of folk wrestling around the U.S., over time, fixed matches became work matches where the fighting broke a line between real and simulated, which it does to this day. The spectacle moved from carnivals into regional promotions united under umbrella organizations. The NWA formed in the 1950s and worked collaboratively to squash outlaw promotions that refused to join or nationally blacklist wrestlers like Jim Wilson who tried to unionize. 
Promoters varied, as do all loose bosses, but were legendarily exploitative of their workers. Wrestling is rife with stories of wrestlers starting their careers working for almost nothing, being lowballed or cheated by promoters, or being forced to wrestle in appalling conditions, or when injured. Okay, wrestling is not about easy. Wrestlers peak in their mid-30s, a good 10 years later than in other athletic sports because of how difficult it is to beat somebody up and make it look fun. Everything in a wrestling match hurts. When wrestlers began to work matches, they learned that to make a punch look real, you really have to hit someone. A wrestling punch makes full contact, unlike an actor's punch. The ring is a wooden platform with thin padding. The ropes are elevator cables and hurt like hell to bounce off of. Anyway, read that one. Wrestlers. Yeah. Why not? There's a union for baseball players. Why shouldn't there be one for wrestlers? Okay, today we're beginning our uh, labor cards feature. And uh, I just want to point out labor cards are a set of cards that I designed along with my mates from the uh, Labor in the Schools Committee. Uh, they were bankrolled by me and Dennis Kelly, former head of the uh, United Educators of San Francisco. The idea was to uh, have kind of a shorthand history of the American labor movement based on short biographies and drawings of prominent labor figures or people who, though not actually in labor unions, who helped out the cause of labor. And the first one, there are 30 of them, first one is Chico Mendes. Um, Chico Mendes was uh, very famous in the 80s and 90s because he was a tapper. Uh, let's read the labor card. Chico Mendes was a tapper, a worker who lives and harvests rubber trees in the Brazilian rainforest. He became leader of the Tappers Union in 1980. His union fought for workplace rights and preservation of the rainforest ecology against rich ranching interests. Okay, so this is what makes him unique. He worked for workers' rights but also to preserve the rainforest and so it was sustainable. The workers would always have the work of tapping the rubber trees. And of course, opposed to them were the people who wanted to burn the rainforest down. Now the rainforest provides us 
huge amounts of oxygen and absorbs huge amounts of CO2. So we have a symbiotic relationship with rainforests and plants in general. So Mendes' idea was to sustain the rainforest, not cut everything down, to farm it, to cut down some and plant some. So there would always be work for tappers. Mendes' work brought wa worldwide attention to the destruction of the Amazon jungle. The union organized nonviolent actions to resist the takeover of tapper communities and block bulldozers and chainsaw crews. A cattle rancher's son murdered him in 1988. A film about Mendes' life and work entitled The Burning Season was released in 19. 94. Um, starring Raul Julia, by the way. See if we can find something on Chico Mendes. Take a listen here, too. Okay, let's see what we got here about Chico Mendes. Chico Mendes nasceu na floresta amazônica, no Acre, 
no município de Chapuri. E desde criança ele cortava seringa. Como se sentia exploração na pele. Seu dia a dia, sua família é muito pobre. Ele foi percebendo que não somente ele era pobre, mas todos ao seu redor. Que não possuíam uma terra. Que eram obrigados a produzir a borracha ou então coletar a castanha e entregar para o dono do seringal. Ok, well, my Brazilian isn't very good. But you get the idea. Mendes uniquely, I mean, remi he reminds you in some ways of Cesar Chavez. Because what Chavez did was universalize the struggle of farm workers by making contact with people outside the farm worker community, in other words, the greater labor community, or just people who were upset by injustice. And he organized those people as well to support his movement. This is what Mendes did. Mendes went to the government and was able to set aside land in the Amazon and uh, keep people from farming it, keep people from burning it down. Okay. Let's see if this one is perhaps in English. Amazônica, no Acre no município de Chapuri. E desde criança... Now, this is in Brazilian as well. Okay, so, labor card number one is Chico Mendes. And uh, let's see, I've just... Play some Kendrick Lamar. I remember you was conflicted, misusing your influence. Sometimes I did the same. Abusing my power full of resentment. Resentment that turned into a deep depression. Found myself screaming in the hotel room. Lucifer was all around me. So I kept running until I found my safe haven. I was trying to convince myself the stripes I got 
Making myself realize what my foundation was. But while my loved ones was fighting a continuous war back in the city, I was entering a new one. A war that was based on apartheid and discrimination. On my mama, nigga. RP Pat Dog. I'ma be the greatest to ever do this shit. On my mama, though, like on the dead homies. Hey, Soundway, turn this shit up, nigga. Turn this shit up. Soundway, turn this shit up, nigga. Tell me who the bitch nigga hating on me. Jumping on my dick, but this dick ain't free. To pimp a butterfly, another classic CD. Get a lullaby for everyone they MC. Nigga, now R.I.P. My diligence is only meant to write your eulogy. All's my life I has to fight, nigga. All's my life I hard times like yeah, bad trips like yeah. Nazareth, I'm fucked up, homie. You fucked up, but if God got us, then we gon' be alright. And when I wake up, I recognize you looking at me for the pay cut. Bahamas, I'll be looking at you from the face down. One Mac 11, even boom with the face down. Skimming, and let me tell you about my life. Painkillers only put me in a twilight. We're pretty pussy and Benjamin is the highlight. Now tell my mama I love her, but this what I like. Lord knows, 20 of them in my Chevy. Tell them all to come and get me, reaping everything I sow. So my karma come in heaven, no preliminary hearings on my record. I'm a motherfucking gangster in silence for the record. Uh. Tell the world I knew it's too late. Boys and girls, I think I've gone great. Trying to side my faces all day. Won't you please believe when I say, when you know we've been hurt, been down before. Nigga, when our pride was low, looking at the world like, where do we go? Nigga, and we hate poor, poor. Wanna kill us dead in the street for sure. Nigga, I'm at the preacher's door. My knees getting weak and my gun might blow, but we gon' be alright. Rick Lamar, we're going to be all right. Okay. Let's see what we got. How about some labor history in two? November, we're on the 28th, start on the 26th, the birth of William Silvis. I'm Rick Smith, and this is Labor History in Two. On this day in labor history, the year was 1829. 
That was the day that William Silvis was born in Armaga, Pennsylvania. Growing up, he was one of 12 children. His father was a wagon maker and taught him the trade. At the age of 18, he became an ironworking apprentice. His skills took him to Philadelphia, where he found work. But ironwork was changing. More and more foundries were hiring unskilled labor or helpers to assist in production. They could pay these workers significantly less and undercut the wages of the skilled iron molders. In response, William joined his local iron molders union. But he knew if they were to really have any power as workers, they would need to join together with other locals. In 1863, he brought together 21 locals to form the Iron Molders International Union. Three years later, he embarked on an even more ambitious project, forming a national labor organization for workers across the trades. Under his leadership, the National Labor Union grew to 300,000 members strong. William shared his thoughts on the importance of labor in a speech to the Iron Molders Union in 1864, saying, quote, If working men and capitalists are equal co-partners, composing one vast firm by which the industry of the world is carried on and controlled, why do they not share equally in the profits? Why does capital take to itself the whole loaf? while labor is left to gather up the crumbs? Why does capital roll in luxury and wealth while labor is left to eke out a miserable existence in poverty and want? Sadly, after all these years, William's questions are still being asked today. For more information, go to laborhistoryin2.com, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at laborhistoryin2. This is Labor History in Two. On this day in labor history, the year was 1910. That was the day when thousands of people came to see the location where a fire had ravaged a sweatshop in Newark, New Jersey. The day before, at least 26 women perished in the inferno. The workers of the Alfred and Irving Wolf Muslin Undergarment Company made nightgowns. On the morning of the fire, there were more than 100 women crowded into the fourth floor workspace. The fire broke out when a can of gasoline was knocked over in the lamp company located below the sweatshop. The floors of the garment shop were wooden and strewn with fabric. The fire spread quickly. It roared up so fast. Even though there was a fire station across the street, the fire crew could not get there in time. It would become the worst fire in Newark's history. Desperate women tried to escape, but the fire safety exits were not adequate. Some of the women leapt to their deaths from the fourth story windows. The fire became national news. No one was ever held legally accountable for the conditions that led to the fire. Less than a year and a half later, tragedy would again strike the garment industry when the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory fire would claim the lives of 146 workers. The events of the Newark fire faded into the annals of history. For years, no memorial marked the location. Richard Greenwald, a dean at a nearby university, thought that the women who died deserved to be remembered. As the 100th anniversary approached, he found the graves of 25 of the women and organized a memorial ceremony. He also helped to create a bronze plaque to remember the site. Labor History in Two brought to you by the Illinois Labor History Society and the Rick Smith Show. For more information, go to laborhistoryin2.com.
I'm Rick Smith, and this is Labor History in Two. On this day in labor history, the year was 1908. That was the day that an explosion at the coal mine in Mariana in Washington County, Pennsylvania, claimed the lives of 154 miners. It was one of the deadliest disasters in U.S. mining history. The Mariana Mine was on the Pittsburgh coal seam, one of the richest coal deposits in the country. The mine was operated by the Pittsburgh Buffalo Coal Company. It was considered by many to be a model operation. The company houses that surrounded the mine were made of yellow brick, had hot and cold running water and electric lights. This set them apart from other mining homes of the day. By the early 1920s, 90% of all mining homes were wood-framed and less than 20% had electricity. Yet even though Mariana was considered a model, disaster still struck. Mine inspector Harry Lewitt had been on site for two days leading up to the disaster. On Saturday morning, he had just left a mine shaft. According to newspaper reports, he found the mine in, quote, perfect condition. Then, shortly after 11 a.m., came a horrific explosion that left experts puzzled. It was believed that a vein of natural gas caused the deadly blast. Only one man, Fred Ellinger, was rescued from the mine. He gave a harrowing account of what happened to the Washington Observer. He said, quote, I was working at laying brick in one of the entries, and the first thing I knew, a terrible explosion took place, which threw me some distance. My two buddies were also tossed some distance away. I heard them for a while, then all was quiet. Ellinger was rescued, but 154 other men were not. Labor History in Two, brought to you by the Illinois Labor History Society and the Rick Smith. Okay, there's some uh, labor history, and it doesn't always have to be sad, huh? Let's uh, talk about the Hollywood 10, Uprising of the 20,000. One more. I'm Rick Smith, and this is Labor History in Two. On this day in labor history, the year was 1909. That was the evening when a crowd began to gather at the Cooper Union in the heart of New York City's shirtwaist garment-making industry. A meeting had been called by the International Ladies' Garment Workers Union, Local 25, to discuss whether garment workers should go out in a general strike. Working conditions and pay throughout the industry were abysmal. It was common for workers to toil 11 hours a day with only a 30-minute lunch break seven days a week. But organizing all these workers was a challenge. Many spoke various dialects of Yiddish or Italian, so organizing had to take place in multiple languages. But slowly, the organizing efforts began to build and show results. Pickets and walkouts were held against some employers. The union called a meeting to discuss what to do next. They voted to strike after a stirring speech in Yiddish from Clara Lemlich, a founder of the ILGWU Local 25. The strike came to be known as the Uprising of 20,000. It lasted until February. In a settlement, more than 300 factories agreed to recognize the union. A song from the educational department of the ILGWU captured the spirit of the strike. 
The lyrics began. In the black winter night of 1909, we froze and bled on the picket line. We showed the world that women could fight, and we rose and won with women's might. The song continued, and we gave new courage to the men who carried on in 1910. And shoulder to shoulder will win through, led by the ILGWU. Labor History in Two, brought to you by the Illinois Labor History Society and the Rick Smith Show. For more information, go to laborhistoryin2.com. Like us on. Labor history. Okay, how can we know where we're going if we don't know where we've been? Every day in the United States, probably different now with the COVID, every day we used to say that 250, 250 workers would die every, every day because of workplace conditions. Like, let's see, worker. Hey, I've got the heebies. I mean the jeebies. Talking about that there's a heebie-jeebies you see across this point. I'll have to look that one up and uh, let you know next week. Worldwide, thousands of workers die every day. Play some music. Palo Guerrero. about Cesar Chavez. Sentados ricos, te paraste frente a 
Dear Mr. President, 
Come take a walk with me. Let's pretend we're just two people and you're not better than me. I'd like to ask you some questions if we can speak honestly. What do you feel when you see all the homeless on the street? Who do you pray for at night before you go to sleep? What do you feel when you look in the mirror? Are you proud? chance to say goodbye how do you walk with your head held high can you even look me in the eye and tell me why la da da la da 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 Dear Mr. President, were you a lonely boy? Are you a lonely boy? How can you say no child is left behind? We're not dumb and we're not blind. They're all sitting in your cells while you pave the road to hell. What kind of father would take his own daughter's rights away? And what kind of father might hate his own daughter if she were gay? I can only imagine what the first lady has to say. You've come a long way.
Dear Mr. President, you'd never take a walk with me. Okay, that was pink. Dear Mr. President, singing obviously to uh, another president, but it, it all works. Dear Mr. President, how can you sleep at night? <clears throat> Before that, Nina Simone with uh, Bob Dylan's I Shall Be Released. And uh, I want to read this poem sent to me by my sister, Kreshla Milosh, Awakened. In advanced age, my health worsening, I woke up in the middle of the night and experienced a feeling of happiness so intense and perfect that in all my life, I had only felt its premonition. And there was no reason for it. It didn't obliterate consciousness. The past, which I carried, was there together with my grief. And it was suddenly included. It was a necessary part of the whole, as if a voice were repeating, you can stop worrying now. Everything happened just as it had to. You did what was assigned to you, and you are not required anymore to think of what happened long ago. Peace I felt was a closing of accounts and was connected with the thought of death. The happiness on this side was like an announcement of the other side. I realized that this was an undeserved gift and I could not grasp by what grace it was bestowed upon me. Amen. Kresla Milosh. All about organizing. Ever hear of a guy they call Joe Hill? He wrote this song and we sing it still. It was way back in the year of 1980. He was a union organizer in the western states. He didn't fall for those bedtime lies handed out by bosses in a preacher's guy. Because his hearts were the workers and his songs were too. So let's sing this one now like they used to do. The Preacher and the Slave. Long-haired preachers come out every night Try to tell you what's wrong and what's right But when asked about something to eat They will answer with voices so sweet You will eat by and by In that glorious land above the sky The work and prayer
children and wife try to get something good in this life you're a sinner and bad man they tell and when you die you will sure go to hell go to hell you will eat by and by in the glorious land above the sky the work and Now, I play that song not only because it's a, a very famous labor song, <clears throat> but because the specter of hunger is raising its ugly head here in the United States. The combination of the COVID virus and the do-nothing Congress is bringing hunger back. It never really left. There are always people going hungry here in the United States. But what we're looking at now is working people unable to work because there's no jobs and yet and still senators are saying, well, we can't give people too much or else they won't come to work. There are no job senators. The COVID has closed down entire industries. The act that, that was passed helped for a while. It got people through to the end of the year. What's going to happen now? So you can just see Rand Paul and the other Congress people and senators saying, you will eat by and by in that glorious land up in the sky. Live on hay. Okay, on that note, hopefully this uh, this show hasn't been such a sad one. This is the the labor and love show where we tell you how it is. And the answer, is, as always, is to organize. We tell you how it is. If one person gets a dollar they didn't work for, someone else worked for a dollar they didn't get. If you don't have a seat at the table where you work, the negotiating table, that is, you're on the menu. And never, but never, let anyone into your heart who is not a friend of labor. It's just a waste of time. 
Labor and Love Radio, where the labor meets the road. And when I say labor, I mean you. I'll be here next week at 10 a.m. to bring you the good and the bad news about labor. But most of all, to bring you hope and the glorious energy from the past that we need so much today in the future. Bye, everybody. Good work. Good week and good work. yours. Not enough food. <laughs> so we balanced out. Soy un hombre sincero, de donde crece la fama, y antes de morir me quiero, echa mis versos del alma. Are ye on a raft without a pattern? Well, gather around me, sea dogs, and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of Mutiny Radio.fm. 
From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice, LGBTQ-friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk. Mutiny Radio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shit-faced McRat. <laughs> As the world gets wackier and less predictable in every way, it is more important than ever for us to all remember our roots. We wouldn't be here today if our ancestors hadn't had the capacity and the skills to take care of themselves and their communities using the resources in the natural world around them and their own two hands. My name is Wonia Thibault of Buckskin Revolution and Alone Season 6, and I started Buckskin Revolution not just to empower people with a wider range of skills to meet their basic needs, but also to inspire them with a sense of fulfillment and connection that comes with living a little closer to the earth and using our bodies, our minds, and our very DNA for what they evolved to do, to help us thrive without the need for modern technology and industry. If that sounds appealing to you, I hope you'll join me for the Fall 2020 Buckskin Revolution Online Skills Gathering, an eight-week learning experience designed to work within any schedule. It involves pre-recorded classes, live interactive sessions, and online community learning support from both myself and your fellow students. The need for these skills has never been more pressing, and Buckskin Revolution is working hard to bring them to you. I hope you can join us. Get connected with yourself and the world around you at buckskinrevolution.com. Billy Bob, you ever want to be funny? Well, my dogs think I'm funny, Daryl. Well, I mean, you ever want to be, like, in front of an audience? Like, other than, like, squirrels, dogs, and dead passers? Oh, shoot. From time to time, I've given it a thought of two. You know, if you go to joke workshop, there's more than two peoples paying attention to your jokes, and they ain't even gonna be jerks about it. Daryl, are you serious? I can get people to listen to my jokes? And they'll even say nice things to you before they tell you how to get improvements. No way. What is this dag nabbit thing called? It's Joke Workshop. Joke Workshop? Yep, every Monday, 6 to 8 p.m. on the Mutant Radius. So you're saying I could tell my jokes every Monday from 6 to 8? That's what I'm saying. It's the Joke Workshop Mondays, 6 to 8 p.m. at the Mutant Radius. Yahoo! <laughs> Poetry reader, this is Bjork's sister, Mjork. It's okay, we also have a soul and a weekly poetry reading on Mutiny Radio's AltaCast, zoomed every Wednesday at high noon from Glasgow, Scotland. One of our co-hosts from Choose Poetry, Choose Life, Andy Talbot, has a new poetry chapbook, Old Wounds, New Skin which is available at analogsubmission.com now. Go buy it, and don't let the poets lie to you. 
Once again, that's Andy Talbot's new poetry chapbook, Old Wounds, New Skin, available at AnalogSubmission.com. I'm Michael Spiegelman. And I am Carl, not Spiegelman. Join us every Sunday, 2 to 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on MutinyRadio.fm for... Let's watch a full-length movie on... YouTube. We watch the best movies that... Uh, aren't they good? Well, they're chosen by uh, Here's you. his theme song again. Bye. Okay, bye. Watch of Lava manages our national lava resources to ensure that we will always have a steady supply of lava to operate the nation's active volcanoes, which in turn power our cities and methamphetamine labs. As a matter of national security, we need to reduce our dependence on foreign lava, which means an expansion of domestic lava drilling. As your chancellor, I will build lava wells all over the country as well as secure access to more lava fields by invading Hawaii. Imagine orange gold spurting out from school playgrounds on the Great Plains and illuminating the Nebraska sky like fireworks on the 4th of July. Magma oozing over the rolling hills of Kentucky. Volcanic ash settling gently over homes in New England like fresh gray snow. Global lava markets do continue to be dominated by terriblest regimes like Iceland, Chile, and the Philippines. Vote for my opponent, who sits in their back pocket as comfortably as Pahoy Hoy on the slopes of Kilauea. If you want the United States to stay competitive in the era of peak lava and beyond, then take a chance on the Chancellor. <laughs> 
Thank you. 